she said, Dear, come from a land down under Where women glow and men thunder Can't you hear, can't you hear the thunder? Yeah You better run, you better take cover Yeah You better run, you better take cover Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Sidearm Nation podcast, a unique baseball podcast. Today, we have former MLB left-handed pitcher RJ Swindle. But yeah, thanks for coming on, RJ. I mean, I guess first things first, would you be able to kind of talk us about kind of your arm slot story, kind of how that all came about? Yeah, yeah. So I uh, I guess I just, I was always kind of a three-quarter guy. Um, and I don't know, obviously, like most pitchers probably pitched in my whole life, um, and I was kind of always three quarter through high school and into college. Um, and I guess over the years, I guess when you're pitching, you don't really feel that as much. I, I always thought I was way more over the top than I actually was when I started to see myself in college and even in professional ball, I, I realized just how low I kind of was. And I kind of prided myself on it, um, you know, especially as I got going a little bit. Uh, so yeah, I just kind of learned how to keep my hand on top of the ball. Obviously that's the key, you know, I feel like with kind of low three quarter guys or sidearm guys, you know, to get the spin on the ball and everything. But I still remember being in big league camp with the Rays, uh, you know, the Joe Madden and all those guys were into that stuff so much, but they actually had stats to show I was kind of the more than any pitcher in the whole big leagues and everything at that time I had the reach behind a hitter because I stood so far on the side of the mound too, like where the back of my heel barely touched the rubber yep. to the first base side being a lefty. Yep. And with my arm, I was coming from behind the batters by like five or six feet. Or something like that. <laughs> so they, I had like the craziest angle on any hitter in the big leagues at that point. I mean, this would have been 10 or 11 years ago now, but I thought that was kind of cool. And I kind of prided myself on that and getting a good angles on the hitters from there. Yeah, that's definitely, that's something I did too. Like I was left-handed as well. And I kind of definitely pushed that envelope and kind of cross-fired as well. And just tried to Uh make the left-handed batter as uncomfortable as possible. (laughs) No, that's exactly right. I mean, being a hitter back in the day, I hated facing lefties, you know, and, and, uh, and just thinking about that in my own head, I know that had to make them feel uncomfortable, you know, and I never threw the hardest. But still, just with that angle and then throwing some, you know, my curveball and slider and everything at them that I could, you know, I, you know, that's how I kind of made my success in my my career. I mean, was being able to get those lefties out. And then RJ, you kind of mixed up your arm angles, correct? I did. I mean, I would come over the top more with, you know, maybe more forcing fastball if I ever threw one of those or my change up and. Okay drop down a little more on my slider, you know, and just to try to mess with the hitters as much as possible, you know, topping out at 84, 85, you had to do as much as you could. (laughs) (laughs) Is that something like kind of pitching the lefties and righties? Would you kind of drop down obviously more against the lefties and maybe come up against a righty? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. That sounds about right. You know, to try to create that angle against lefties, I'd probably drop down and throw some, more sliders at them from a little lower angle and maybe try to stay a little more on top. So I wouldn't, you wouldn't want my ball to go too side to side against the righties because it would flatten out a little bit at times if I dropped too low. So uh, trying to keep a little more upward angle to try to have that ball dip a little more against the righties was always key for me. 
And then RJ, is there any mechanical tips that you'd have for low slot pitching? Um, I mean, the main thing I always, and I always had a buddy of mine that would help me in the off season if I ever need some help was just kind of keeping my, my hand on top of the ball. Cause I would go through some funks where my ball would flatten out a little bit with the lower arm slot of just getting my hand kind of on the side of the ball and getting underneath it a little bit. And I would see some of my pitches not really having the sharpness or break that I wanted. And it, it was hard. It's hard to correct yourself when you're in the game, right. Or, you know, you don't really see yourself or feeling it maybe necessarily. So the mechanical things was just making sure I kept my hand on top of the ball, um, you know, and following through. Right. I mean, that's always the biggest thing with any pitching. It seems like it's been a little while since I've been on the mound, but making sure I follow through and, and uh, that would really help me get the snap and the, the break on the ball that I needed. Yeah. And it's definitely kind of an oxymoron, right? Like you still like, even though you have a lower arm slot, you still have to get on top of the baseball. And I think that's definitely even something I struggled with just kind of thinking about that. Right. But yeah, it it's actually probably even more important. Oh yeah. No, it definitely was my career. And I could definitely point to certain slumps I would, I had, you know, was just mechanical. I mean, it really was just the little mechanical funks I'd go through for a couple of weeks at a time, maybe or something like that, just not getting on top of the ball you know, and everything flattened out on me a little bit. And it's something RJ, like I get asked all the time, like velocity wise, like how do I gain more velocity from a lower arm slot? And, you know, myself, I was better off pitching at 83, 84. When I got up to like 88, 89, it would kind of like we talked about, it would flatten out and I would get hit actually harder. Um, Yeah. Would you have any advice? Yeah, my coaches would always get on me actually if I threw too (laughs) Like if I had a game where I was sitting like 84, 85, which was very rare for me, but a couple of times I, my coaches would get on me and it's like, what are you doing? You know, with you, you just need to stay under the hitter's speed, you know, sit at 80, 81, 82. That's where you need to be. And they just kind of be joking, but they'd be for real too. I was like, well, I guess that makes sense. You know, where I sit and you know, sitting in the lower eighties is what worked best for me. Yeah. And is that I mean, something, would you have any advice for any kind of pitchers that are maybe kind of stuck in that velo? And I know it's obviously an important part of the game, but, um, you know, for me and obviously with the site and stuff, it's definitely not everything. No, I, I, I'm an old school guy. I mean, with all that, I hate how everything's driven by velocity these days. I mean, yeah. you know, honestly, and looking at a pitcher like me, you know, I made it to the big leagues topping out at 85 miles an hour, right? And I wasn't a knuckleballer or anything crazy. I mean, I was just your lefty, you know, topping out at 85, really sitting 80 to 82 huh. in the big leagues. Whereas today, like my job at the time in the big leagues is pretty much extinct, right? They're not bringing guys in as lefties to face a couple lefty hitters or get out of jams anymore. It's everyone that can throw 95 up. You know, I just, I was all about location, 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 and, you know, spinning, you know, the spin pitches and throwing strikes, you know, right. I, I excelled at throwing strikes, putting the ball where I needed to. I had five pitches. I could put them all in any count anywhere I wanted to. So these young guys and these guys getting going, it's to me, it's the game should still be about, it could still be about just location and changing your speeds up. Yeah. And it's something too, like obviously um, now being involved with, you know, scouting with the Orioles, like, you know, you're always going to take a guy that's throwing hard. It's an easy sell, right? But definitely I feel like just some of the, you know, the weighted ball stuff. And I think, I feel like kids are trying to gain velo almost just at the wrong time in their career. It's hurting them. Yeah. I mean, I've had a cousin that had Tommy John at 14 and, you know, all these kids, I mean, being in this, living in the South down here where kids play year round and working on all that stuff at such an early age, and it's wrecking arms. It really is. I mean, I just, 
there's there's other ways and the way i was taught and brought up was long toss i mean is one of those best things you can do yep. for your arm and getting that velocity up you know all these new programs of course probably go round and round about some of those and all these guys trying to sell this stuff these days but i'm not a big proponent of them you know the long toss you know god-given ability all that you know it, it goes a long way you know and velocity is not everything now, obviously you know it, it helps uh, absolutely and you got a guy throwing 95 of course he's going to be able to be successful at pretty much any level as long as he can throw it over the plate but um but yeah guys can still get outs you know throwing in the mid 80s to upper 80s range and you know i would just say don't get frustrated with it and just learn how to spot your pitches and i guess rj is there anything any advice you'd have for anyone maybe debating on changing their arm angle um I would say figure out what works best for you, right? I mean, I know, you know, multiple guys that I played with in the minor leagues that, you know, weren't having most success overhanded and then flip late in their career to go kind of sidearm or three quarters, you know, guys that come to mind, Tommy Hadovy, you know, who's now, of course, a big league pitching coach, but he made it to the big leagues kind of dropping down. And I would play with them. We were in the same draft class with the Red Sox where he was a straight completely over the top guy and really, so they kind of dropped him down. Tim Dillard's a good buddy of mine. I play with, with the Brewers. Um, you made it by dropping down, right? I mean, he kind of made it the first round by regular and then kind of went three quarters and then kind of, they asked him to drop down and he did it. Right. I mean, it just, you know, it all kind of, you got to be able to control it. Right. It's a little more, if you're not used to it, dropping down feels weird, right? But it's just like anything else. You kind of get used to it. You can get a lot more angle on the ball and spin rate on it, I feel like. So, you know, I would say, I mean, you know, do what works best for the players, really. I, I didn't choose to really go three-quarter drop down. It kind of came natural to me and just kind of perfected it over the years. But, you know, learn just how to control it. And that's the main thing. Yeah, and it's something I kind of talk about too and, you know, some other guests have talked about is just kind of like you do have to kind of have a good self-assessment of kind of where your career is at and what your plans yeah. are, or, you know, what, you know, what spot you are in the bullpen and kind of have yeah. to be a little, you know, a realist in a way. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. No, it's not. It's I feel like it's difficult to control, you know, dropping down and being successful at it, right? I didn't even try it, but actually being able to come in a game and be successful with it is, is difficult. I feel like, you know, compared to the norm, I guess you can say. Um, so now you just got to kind of assess if you're able to actually do it and, and get the velocity and the, and the um, control that you want out of it. But yeah, I agree with you. And I guess RJ, could you talk to us a little bit about kind of your college career and kind of the leading up to get getting drafted, I guess. Yeah. So I, um, I grew up in a born in Canada, you know, I was born in Vancouver, but my family moved down to uh, kind of Titusville area in Florida pretty much when I was about a year old. Uh, my dad got a job at Kennedy space center. So he still works there to this day as an engineer. Um, so I grew up in, Ohio and, and, you know, was typical, you know, the travel ball team in my teenage years and looking for a college to play at. And, and in Florida, unfortunately, you know, because of the velocity thing, even back in the nineties when this was, I uh, didn't throw hard enough for a lot of the colleges and D1 colleges. Um, so I had a lot of D2 and NAIA offers um, and JUCO offers in Florida. But of course, you know, I wanted the, the, the D1 offer. And luckily on a travel ball tournament up, up here in South Carolina, actually at Clemson University, the Charleston Southern coach saw me, um, you know, and gave me an offer. Right. I mean, it was my only division one offer. So I came up here to Charleston, South Carolina and, 
and, um, you know, not throwing any harder than I did in high school, but learned a slider. Literally my first year of college, my pitching coach taught it to me and it, it just became my go-to pitch. I mean, and all the way through my college career and professional career was my go-to. I mean, I could backdoor it on a righty, you know, or, you know, crawl all the way across. I mean, devastating on a lefty, you know, and just learn that. So coming in to Charleston Southern, my first year, I, you know, did extremely well and won a bunch of honors and freshman all American and college, you know, or pitcher of the year for my conference and all kind of stuff and kind of just gained some momentum there. Never really thinking pro ball. Of course, every kid dreams of it. Of course, I've dreamed about my whole life, but it wasn't really on the radar just because I was told my whole life about velocity. I didn't have enough. Um, but going into my sophomore year was my best college year by far. And I was really put on the radar then. I mean, I was second to only Justin Verlander in all of college with strikeouts that year. Um, you know, I had a really great year. So going into my junior year, um, I was actually on the radar for quite a few teams. And, and early on my junior year, I had about 30 scouts in the stands. I still remember this game. This still haunts me a little bit, but we were playing the University of Maryland and they had kind of a big stud pitcher on the mound. And then me and there was probably 30 or 40 scouts in the stands watching both of us. And we both didn't get out of the fifth inning. I mean, we both just got shellacked everywhere. You know, and it probably hurt me a little more because I needed to be perfect with my velocity because that was, of course, a big hindrance to these pro scouts um, sitting at 84, 85. And uh, I dropped off the radar a little bit by then. But the Red Sox, you know, kept on me all year. I still remember their their guy coming to probably six or eight more games for me that year. And, you know, obviously got the call on draft day in the 14th round you know, that year, my junior year to get drafted, which obviously was a, was a dream come true at the time. I never really thought that w- that would happen coming into college. And then before you made it to the MLB, RJ, you had to play a little indie ball and kind of grind in the minors a little bit. Could you kind of talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, yeah, I, that could be a long story. I'll try to make it as short <laughs> as possible. <laughs> Getting drafted, I... Uh, you know, uh, started with the Red Sox and was, you know, top 30 prospect going into my first spring training and, and had a, you know, great first season with them up in low mass, but had a back injury, you know, so I had a herniated disc and, and they just unfortunately didn't feel like I was going to be a good long-term prospect for them once I had the back injury. So they actually let me go my very first spring training. Um, and so it was hard for me to find a job once they kind of red flagged me. I was t- barely 21 years old you know, was supposed to be a decent prospect, came off of a sub two ERA, you know, per season with like a 15 to one strikeout to walk ratio and uh, then found myself jobless. So, I mean, my agent was able to land me some independent jobs, um, you know, and found one in Schaumburg, Illinois is where I pitched in the Northern League at the time and, and was the youngest guy in the league at that time, you know, and had a great season. I started all year but teams just still weren't willing to give me a chance because of my back. So I ended up having surgery kind of on off my Cobra insurance through the Red Sox dime, um, you know, uh, to fix my back. And so I went back to the, the independent league in, in Schaumburg and started the next season. This would have been 2006 after getting drafted in 04 and um, last about a month was started was the pitcher of the month for the league. And then the, the, the uh, Yankees in Colin. And um, picked me up and threw me in the Sally League down here in Charleston, actually, and had probably my best numbers-wise uh, year of my career. I mean, I just – I gave up three runs in 48 innings, had a crazy – I mean, like three to 50-something strikeout-to-walk ratio and, and really did well. So 
did not feel like I should have been on the chopping block my first spring training with them. But once again, it came down velocity and, and um, you know, the powers that be up at the top of the minor league system there uh, didn't think I could pitch above a ball level. So they released me. And so I found myself back in independent ball in the Atlantic league in Newark, New Jersey in 2007. And um, you know, uh, once again, I was 22, I think at that time, the youngest pitcher, in the Atlantic league um, and was relieving and went the first month and then again, got picked up by the Phillies and they threw me back in the Sally league, which honestly I was a little upset about because I felt I had already proved myself, but they wanted to see me. And so I went to Lakewood, New Jersey and was their closer actually closer to throwing 84, 85 miles an hour. That was fun. But but, uh, I closed for them in Lakewood and then got bumped up to Clearwater. And then that's where my journey kind of took off because by getting picked up from them in June of 07, um, in low A, I found myself high A at the end of that year in camp with them in minor league camp, breaking camp in double A, getting moved to triple A within a month after I didn't give up a run all of April and was in Lehigh Valley in triple A in 08 and then there and then got put in the big leagues in 2008. So I went from independent ball to the big leagues really in about a year, year and a half after never, of course, being on any roster, never pitching above a ball, you know, entering the 07 season. And, and of course I didn't even know the coaches. I mean, then they didn't know me in the Phillies uh, system, Charlie Manuel and all those guys. I had never even met them before. They just saw my numbers needed someone to come up to the big leagues and gave me the shot in 2008. So that kind of changed my career around where from that year on, I was always, you know, kind of that three, a four, a guy and triple a slash big leagues for the next like four or five plus years of my career. And is that something, Margie? I mean, definitely good on you for for you know sticking you know sticking that out. Like, was there ever a period there where you were just like just frustrated with you know as far as just you know your numbers not being good enough or velocity not being good enough or? Yeah, it was. It got frustrating, uh, especially later in my career. Right. So I got up with the Phillies. I got to pitch in three games that year. Had so so results in the big leagues. Um, if you look at my numbers online now, it's it's embarrassing almost. I don't even like to look at my big league numbers because, you know, I really struggled the next year when I got my opportunity with the Brewers um, and just had one or two, one was particularly bad outing where I just barely could get an out and, of course, ballooned my numbers pretty bad. But, uh, you know, I had my opportunity. I did not excel at the big leagues, unfortunately. I felt like I could have done better with some more time and probably thrown me into some better situations where I could excel rather than just some garbage innings. But, um but yeah, it just didn't work out there. But on the AAA level, I spent the next four years pretty much in big league camp every year, last cut round, you know, trying to make the big leagues and just really excelled at the AAA level to whereas I think my last year coming in with the Cardinals, someone had told me, I didn't even know, it, but someone looked out, I was like the active ERA leader for every minor, all minor leaguers, you know, for career wise going into my season with the Cardinals and AAA. So, I mean, I just, always had the numbers and got frustrated that the velocity thing was kind of holding me back just because I felt like I could still get people out. And I was being told by higher ups that the, you know, I couldn't pretty much because of the velocity thing, but never really given the full opportunity to kind of showcase myself. And then RJ, could you talk to us a little bit about your MLB debut? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I came up, with the Phillies. So I got the call. Of course, that's just an awesome call to get, you know, getting that first call. And it was, um, I believe it was July 2nd. Um, and, uh, I went up for two days. We were in Atlanta, 
Um, so they, we, I was leaving, I believe, uh, New England area. I forget exactly where we were, but they flew me down to Atlanta, which was awesome. That was about as close to home as I could have gotten there in the South for my wife was married. Um, still am, you know, uh, at the time. And so she was able to join me in Atlanta along with some of her family, my parents. So I made my debut. Well, I made my debut on the lineup card in, in Turner field. Um, and so I was up for two days, did not get to pitch. And then they sent me back down, actually, but said, you'll be back up first call. Just, you know, we have a freeing up spot for another guy. And so they sent me down July 4th. And so I went and pitched. They flew me right to Pawtucket. And I gave up the game losing home run in Pawtucket when I got sent back down. I still remember that July 4th game. Of course, that sucked. Um, But uh, two days later, they called me up because Tom Gordon had blew out his elbow. And uh, so they caught me back up on the 6th. So it was literally only down for like two days and came back up. And um, actually got to make my pitching debut on the 7th, which was actually my 25th birthday, um, which was very cool. They're in Philly Stadium, so they're back home in Philly. And, and um, you know, it was about 45,000 people. We were playing the Mets. You know, it was one of the situations where our starter, Adam Eaton, had just gotten drilled. And so it was early in the earlier in the game. I think it was a fourth, third, fourth, fifth inning, somewhere around there. And uh, Pedro was actually throwing for the other team. So it was just cool, I mean, being in that atmosphere – playing against legends like that. Um, you know, I came in and the first batter I faced was David Wright, you know, being the soft toss and lefty coming up and facing probably the Hall of Famer. Righty. Wasn't, like I said, those are most of my opportunities in big leagues. They weren't put in to exactly excel. <laughs> but, um, you know, sure enough, hung a 3-2 curveball to him and he took it out. So that wasn't the greatest uh, first batter in the big league experience. Wasn't how I envisioned it, let's just say. Um, but, uh, that, that first inning was a little rough, you know, getting settled in. I gave up two runs that one other after that, and actually just got out of the inning because, um, Victorino threw out Beltran up the plate and, uh, got out of it and they just kept me in there, <laughs> you know, cause I need, I was there to eat innings, but yeah. the next two, innings, I went six up, six down, was able to strike out David Wright on three pitches the next time I faced in that game. So I got settled in all right in that first outing, which was great. You know, I only got two more opportunities to pitch for them after that and, and gave up a run in both outings and, and whatnot. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was obviously an awesome experience to, uh, to get up there and, and to be in front of that crowd and pitch for them and everything. And then RJ, you've talked to a little bit, you mentioned you're born in Canada and you've got to represent Canada internationally. Um, could yeah. you talk to us a little bit about kind of what representing Canada means for you? Yeah, yeah. No, that was some of the highlights of my career and life, honestly. I mean, you know, I, I was born in Canada, still have cousins in Vancouver. You know, we used to grow up going to see my grandparents that were on the Washington side in Bellingham area yep. my whole life, like every year, pretty much. And so we always always got to visit my cousins and my grandparents up there, um, but never really lived there. So when I was playing, actually, it was independent ball. My pitching coach, Brett Gray, um, yeah. you know, uh, figured out that I was born in Canada. This would have been about the 2006 when I was, was my pitching coach. And he was like, well, where the heck have you been? I was like, well, it's on our teams. I was like, what are you talking about? I didn't know anything about it, honestly. And so he kind of got me in touch with Greg Hamilton and the powers that be. And of course, I mean, after talking, they're like, you know, yeah, we'd love to have you play. So, I mean, we went through the process of getting me my Canadian passport because of course I'm a dual citizen and, and um, from there on, I pretty much played on all the national teams, minus one or two, for um, about 2007 through 2013, really. Um, looking back, I regret passing them up on a couple of the tournaments, just because at the time I was 
fighting for jobs, you know, in the major leagues or minor leagues or one off season. I just remember me and my wife were really tight for money and I couldn't leave for a month kind of thing. And, you know, so I passed on a couple of tournaments, unfortunately, the main one in my mind I really missed was the 2009 world baseball classic for false promises from the brewers at the time. But, uh, but yeah, it was awesome. Awesome experience, you know, playing in Beijing in the Olympics for them um, with those guys. It was, it was an awesome experience. Like I said, probably one of the highlights of my career and my life being able to be over there and do all that. Um, and then playing on multiple world cup teams and qualifying teams and, you know, playing in Taiwan and Germany and Sweden and Italy. And, you know, of course, Beijing and practice in Australia. And it's just, you know, it was, it was an awesome experience getting to play for Canada and all those tournaments. I got actually my work office here. I got my big Olympic Jersey signed by all the guys kind of right here by my desk. So all uh, put up. So it was, it was just, it was, it was a fun time. Yeah. I love international baseball. I was fortunate enough to play on the junior national team and then my dad's born in England. So I played okay. on the great Britain national team for a bunch. Yeah. And just what kind of want to ask you, what are your thoughts on baseball in Europe? I mean, it's, I don't know much about it, honestly. Um, you know, I, I knew some friends and, you know, a good buddy of mine on the Canada team, Scott Richmond, went and played in Italy kind of when he yep. was finishing his career. And I would have loved to do that. I loved Italy. It's still me and my wife because my wife actually joined us on that trip when we played the World Cup there. And that was still to this day our favorite place we've ever been, really, in vacation and stuff. So I would have loved to have done that. Um, it sounds like – I, like I said, I don't know a ton about European baseball, but it, I know they're really working hard on getting it going pretty much with a lot of the countries. And, you know, obviously, you know, some of the team, you know, I think it was it, uh, is it Israel that's going to be in the Olympics this year. Yep. Yep. They qualified. Yep. And they got, I remember them whooping us in the world baseball classic when I played for the team actually in 2012, um, you know, so they got some good ball players, and yeah. So, I mean, it's taking off I and mean, it's good for the game. Yeah, it's definitely, um, you know, like I think you would have probably played in Re- Regensburg. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah, we played in that for the qualifier, yep. Yeah, and like it's definitely, um, you know, like they're passionate there, the fans that love oh, yeah. baseball. And it's, you know, there's some, you know, obviously it's a beautiful stadium and the league is getting stronger and stronger in some of those countries. It's just a lot of them are late bloomers. They don't start till they're like 13 or 14. And it's scary, like a guy like Max Kepler on the Twins. Uh, yeah. He's... Yep. Now a star in the MLB, but he, you know, a lot of those guys get late starts. Yeah. So they, they don't have it like us a lot of times, especially like me, I live in a climate where it's going to be year round. So yeah. these kids at three, four, five years old year round their whole lives. I mean, so they're a lot more seasons, not necessarily the talent. I mean, it's all, a lot of it comes down to talent. Of course, you got guys like him that started later, but just make up for it with their raw talent. And then of course, learning the game, but but yeah, no, that makes sense. And then RJ, you played some winter ball. How was uh, how was winter ball for you? So yeah, that was um, that was in- interesting. Um, you know, uh, when that opportunity kind of presented itself, it was after the 2008 season with the Phillies. Um, you know, uh, I guess once you kind of reach that level, I, I feel like, or at least that's when it happened to me. That obviously you start to get the interest from the winter ball team. So. Venezuela, you know, hit me up uh, pretty much as the season ended. Magiana's team um, really wanted me pretty bad. So I uh, ended up saying, sure, fine, you know, I'll come down there and actually got my wife to come down with me as well. This is before we had kids. And so she actually came down with me for about two and a half months. I stayed pretty much the whole season um, up till really about two weeks before Christmas or really about three weeks before Christmas. And then, of course, 
I was sp- scheduled to leave. And then they, this was in 2008. They really wanted me to stay pretty badly. So I, I let my agent negotiate a little bit with them and got quite a bit of money to stick around for another three weeks, essentially, and leave like the week before Christmas. Um, so yeah, getting to play for them. I played for them and played there in 2008 and 2010. Um, really, I mean, enjoyed it. They obviously took care of us uh, and paying a lot of money, you know, so it was good money to play down there. And it was really good competition, you know, pretty much when I was there with them. I mean, I mean, it was an all, I mean, we had Pablo Sandoval was our first baseman. We had Elvis Andrews at our shortstop. Um, you know, we had all kind of big league guys, Elvis, you know, Jose Altuve was our second baseman. I mean, Richard Hidalgo and some of these other guys that kind of at the end of their career, but um, you know, just kind of studs, uh, you know, looking back at it. And this would have been right kind of at the beginning of a lot of those guys' um, careers. Obviously, that was Altuve in 2008. So that was a while ago before he's kind of become the, the megastar. He was our little nine-hole slap hole hitter at that time, you know, as a teenage kid. Um, you know, but uh, it was a great experience. I played in Mexico in 2011 kind of as a starting pitcher because at that point my career was kind of up in the air a little bit. And me and my agent talked about maybe trying to get to – to Japan and the one of the only ways for me not having high velocity was to be a starting pitcher. So I went down to Mexico to try to be a starter again, kind of late in my career and didn't really work out too well. And, and um, you know, but still it was, it was fun being out of Mexico for a month. And yeah, so those, those are good experiences. They're mainly they're good, good money in the off season to kind of help supplement that, uh, that gap of time that we had to work. <laughs> And you touched on, I was going to ask you, like, you've kind of done a little bit of both starting and relieving. Is there anything that you kind of preferred or didn't matter? Uh, I love starting. Like, I always love to start. I mean, I know I kind of made it as a reliever, but, you know, I started all through college and still hold all my school records to this day, um, you know, with strikeouts and innings and all that fun and wins and all that stuff. But uh, the Red Sox had drafted me as a starter. I kind of piggybacked our stars that we drafted that year that were our high draft picks and was a starter with them. And then um, I started an independent ball in, in uh, Schaumburg both those years and really enjoyed that. Um, I just, I, I need, I don't know the type of style I was, as I got going in the game, I kind of got better kind of thing. I always just did got settled in uh, and had enough pitches in the arsenal that I could switch things up on different hitters. And, but, you know, once I got to the even, a ball and, and up and double A, triple A. I mean, I was seen as a reliever, you know, kind of a specialist kind of guy. I was really the setup guy in most of the teams I played for just because the coach could trust me to come in and shut down an eighth inning kind of thing um, at any time. So that's kind of the role I took on. But personally, I always enjoyed the starting one. And I guess, RJ, you have a career RBI in the MLB. Could you explain that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was probably my crowning achievement in the MLB. <laughs> was awesome um you know i uh obviously my pitching stats like i said i don't even like to look at those reminded of those unfortunately but but yeah you know that just based on the way i was using the big leagues and my limited opportunities was kind of the eating up the innings garbage innings kind of thing so i had more at bats in the big leagues than i had ever you know in any other level of pro ball so i had three at bats in the big leagues and one of them was off of randy johnson of course, you know, the big unit, I was always kind of considered the little unit just based on style of pitching, I guess, and being a lefty my whole life. And I was a huge fan of his. Um, but yeah, that was pretty scary. Like I said, standing in against a lefty, especially him, uh, left on left in the box, I was very intimidated. <laughs> but uh, sure enough, we were down by like 10 runs and had a guy on third with one out kind of infield back situation. And, 
you know, he was kind of started me off with the slider, which I don't know why he did that. And I almost swung the thing like bounced before the plate. That's how little of a chance I probably had. But luckily he just pumped a bunch of fastballs at me after that. And I could always hit a fastball or time up a fastball at least. So after fouling off some pitches and fighting them with like a two, two count, I actually rolled over one kind of up the middle towards second base. Um, and if I had any more speed, cause I am <laughs> slow as molasses. I could have beat it out the first and should have probably if I would have given it maybe a little extra effort. But um, I uh, got beat by like half a step at first base from getting the base hit, but got thrown out, but knocked the run in. And that was probably the only time I ever actually got a little applause running off the field. <laughs> and he threw you a first pitch slider. He did. I don't I don't know if he this little reliever is going to grip and rip or whatever. Maybe I looked intimidating. I have no idea, but I just about swung because they didn't tell me nothing. They're just like, all right, kid, go get them. And then, so I was in there and I knew I didn't probably have a chance if gotten deep in the count. So I was about to swing and I still remember my eyes rolling in the back of my head. I mean, I mean, I just, I did not pick up the slide at all. Probably why I wasn't a hitter. Um, but, uh, you know, like I said, I could always time up a fastball. All right. So once he started pumping fastballs at me, you know, I fouled a couple off and was kind of hanging in there till I kind of was able to roll roll over one. I don't think he was too happy about it. Honestly, he wasn't wanting to give up that run. Um, and actually, he did not sign a ball for me after the game either. That kind of sucked. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was still 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 a fun accomplishment. And baseball wise, now for you, RJ, like, have you um, any? Are you involved in baseball anymore, or did you get into coaching afterwards, or? Uh, no, I, I really didn't. I, uh, you know, got asked, you know, moving back and having our house here in Charleston, South Carolina, you know, my alma mater at Charleston Southern, I was asked kind of when I got done playing, if I'd be interested in, you know, kind of getting involved up there. And, and um, you know, at the time, it just financially wasn't kind of worth it. We had baby number two done playing and we have three girls now. Um, but uh yeah, I mean, I helped coach, I think, right away a couple of travel ball teams locally with just some guys that had some, some, um, you know, uh, teams that they had put together. But I just, I have, no, I haven't really been involved for years now. I got my girls, so been helping them coach softball, you know, coach their softball teams a little bit. A couple of my older two are getting involved a little bit. And, you know, got asked for quite a few years to kind of do lessons on the side for some individuals. And I did a little bit sparingly, but just, you know, the time, um, having the three kids and having them all involved in sports and then my job day to day and my wife's still working. It's just, haven't really been able to dedicate the time to any baseball in, in years now. And I guess RJ, what would you say, what would be your favorite part about pitching from down under? Um, yeah, it's just the different, right? I mean, lefty and me and lefties, I think in general, but being left-handed, you know, I couldn't throw the ball straight. Right. I mean, and that was the great thing about being left-handed, you know, and then when you add in kind of the three quarter, you know, funk to it, um, you know, it just, it really worked out. I mean, if you can control it and you learn how to do it, it just, it was awesome. It opened up a lot of doors for me. And I feel like if I was right-handed throwing the same velocity, no matter if it was overhand or probably even three quarter or from, you know, down under, I don't think I would have obviously went near as far as I did. You know, so just being left-handed, being able to have the, the you know, the arm angle that was a little different really, really helped me out quite a bit. And I, I obviously enjoy, enjoyed it. I enjoyed the, you know, messing hitters up and pissing them off and having them cursing back to the, the dugout, wondering why they, they couldn't hit me. <laughs> 
And RJ, it's just time for our ninth inning call of the bullpen. So it's just going to be some random questions just to learn a little bit more about you. All right. Sounds good. Favorite NHL team? Oof. I guess I got to go with the Canucks. <laughs> That's, yeah, I was going to say, probably, I was kind of guessing it would. It was gonna maybe, <laughs> yeah, I was going to maybe think Vancouver Canucks for you. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hometown. <laughs> Favorite travel destination? Oof. I mean, our favorite to date, and we've traveled the world, has been Italy. So the Rome, Tuscany, Florence, Venice area. We we love, we want to go back one day, that's for sure. All-time favorite professional wrestler? Oof. I guess Hulk Hogan. I just remember my dad used to watch him, and we used to watch him whenever, whenever he was on. <laughs> uh, favorite baseball movie? Oof. That's a good one. There's a lot of good ones. I mean, Field of Dreams, I mean, is a great one. That's a classic. Field of Dreams or Bull Durham. I mean, I don't know. That's a tough one. I played for the Durham Bulls for a couple of years, so that's kind of hit home. That was, that was fun to be around there. But I like Field of Dreams, too. And then, RJ, if you could golf or have dinner with any three people, dead or alive, who would you like to go with? Wow, that's a deep question. <laughs> <laughs> dead or alive, huh? I mean, Ken Griffey Jr., just because he's always been my favorite player. I got to be in this. I've met him a couple times randomly, but never really got to have a conversation with them. Um, obviously, just my favorite player ever. So I think that would be really cool. I guess we don't have to do sports here, but that's just kind of where my mind is. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I don't know. I've always been a, like a George Bush fan. I mean, meet the president, you know, the former president. I think that would be pretty, pretty awesome. Um, and oh gosh, a third, huh? That's tough. I mean, that's that's a good one. I'm trying to think history or something like that, but uh, Griffey was a cool one. Ah, Bill Murray, actor. Yeah, and I've met him actually a couple of times being here in Charleston. He's from Charleston. He's real involved with River Dogs, but he even in everything I've met him and talked to him very briefly. But he is about the funniest dude you'll ever meet in your life. If I could sit down and have a dinner with him and get some time. Yeah, I think that would be pretty fun. <laughs> and then I guess RJ would it be golf or dinner? Oof. I think he would be hilarious on the golf course. I think I would be golf. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> any particular uh any particular course? Uh I mean if we had to choose, I mean the ocean course here where the PGA is being played tomorrow would be pretty fun. That's obviously right here where we're at. I <laughs> She got to go on that course and do a skills challenge last week. She's involved in the first T PGA junior league here. My oldest one got to go out there and take pictures of the Wanamaker trophy. And obviously it's a big time here in Charleston this week with the PGA championship starting tomorrow. But yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> that'd be an interesting uh, foursome. It'd be a fun. Foursome. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I've actually, I've gotten to play that course twice and it was actually um, with the legends game here that they've started doing down here in Charleston with legendary, Braves and Yankees guys, and I was actually involved in a couple of those games. So I actually, that was a perk of it, getting to play in it, you know. So I played those course types. So it was like Steve Avery and Sid Bream and Ryan Klesko and Jeff Treadway and Pete Smith and Greg McMichael, all these Braves guys that I grew up watching and, and playing with a little bit. So so that was that was a good time getting to play the ocean course with those guys. And RJ, if you could be an Olympian, winter or summer, in another sport. What sport would you like to try? Oh, man. 
And I guess that's a true, like a lot of the people I asked that they haven't been Olympic Olympians first off you've actually yeah yeah they actually haven't done yeah so i actually got to do it which was cool i don't know man watching those watching those runners do the speed walking thing that was a real (laughs) olympic sport i mean that looked looked pretty intimidating i gotta tell you (laughs) go around the village doing their little speed walking the race Uh, walker yeah oh yeah i didn't even realize that was a real thing but apparently it is no i I got to watch a lot of the events when we were there honestly the of course i love playing ping pong man ping pong would be fun It'd be great to come back to that. Yeah, and actually, I was going to ask you, like, did you get to check out a lot of the other sports while you were while you were there? Yeah, you... yeah, that was a cool thing. You could always just sign up um, and go watch whatever you wanted to, um, pretty much as long as the tickets were still available. So, yeah, a big group of us every day would be going went and watch the ping pong. Of course, that was the year Michael Phelps won all his stuff, so we went and watched a bunch of his stuff. Usain Bolt, that was the year he was crushing things. So we went and watched a bunch of his. You know, we were like first row watching the USA basketball team with Kobe and, you know, all those guys and LeBron and, you know, getting to watch those guys. Um, yeah, I mean, it was all uh, all awesome getting to watch that. Of course, we checked out a lot of the, the women's beach volleyball and, you know, all that ball, you know, all that good stuff, too. But, you know, uh, it was uh, it was a great time. Yeah, getting to do all that. And then when all, once all the events were over, of course, everyone just kind of hung out, you know, in uh, different country kind of houses kind of thing and just. And I had a good old time. Yeah, like I mentioned with the Great Britain national team, like I was that was going to be my ticket in 2012, but then they kicked baseball out of the Olympics. So, uh, the- yeah, that that would have been automatic. Yeah, that would have been awesome. Yeah, I would have loved. I wish I would have been aware that I could actually play for Canada earlier cuz I mean, I think I would have had a good shot at playing in the 04 team. I think that was in Greece because some yep. of those guys had played on yep. that team as well. And, uh, you know, that was kind of right when I was getting drafted. Um, I think that, uh, like I said, the Olympic experience was probably one of the best of my life. I mean, it was just an awesome experience overall. I mean, I got my office here littered with Olympic stuff I bought and picture of me on the Great Wall of China and just my jersey and just all kind of stuff. I mean, it was just, it was a great time to be there for that month. And then RJ, lastly, I mean, I guess, I don't know, we might have crossed paths. Like I was on the Calgary Vipers in 2006, but you, you know, you, I think you, you okay. mentioned. You yeah, I would have been in Schaumburg that year. So I can't remember if I would have been there still when we played or not. I know we went up there in 05, but I was only with Schaumburg for a month in 06. I'm not sure if I would have made it up there when you were, when you were there. Do you remember the left-handed pitcher on your team that was a former Montreal Expo? Rick DeHart. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Rick. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I loved Rick, man. He kind of took me under his wing a little bit and there was a big age gap, I think, um, when I, when I was there. So he was just kind of, I don't know, he taught me a lot and was fun guy to hang out with and listen to his stories a little bit. And then do you remember playing in Calgary? I guess you said two was that, yeah, 2005. Calgary. I do. Yep. The main thing I remember about was the longest bus ride of my life. Pretty much. <laughs> You guys bus- driving up there. Oh man, I we bust it, and for whatever I remember that thing being like 16, 20 hour. I don't know. It was like like I said, the longest bus ride I've ever been on my life. I just remember that specifically because that was not that fun. <laughs> yeah, actually, kind of remember. I, I guess I remember we we flew out a lot when we kind of played Chicago and stuff. But there was the one trip, and I think it was maybe during the All Star break where there was more time, and we we did bust it back from from Chicago, and that that's yeah, it's not fun. No, no. For whatever reason, maybe we just had a cheap owner. I don't remember the reason, but it, and that was miserable. We might have had an off day or something like that in between, and they didn't want to pay for flights. And yeah, it was just awful. 
So that's, I remember that. I remember there's a lot of cow pastures around. I think it was a lot farmier, I believe, if I remember correctly, than I expected. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, we're kind of lucky here. Like the mountains are only an hour away too, though. Yeah. No, it was very pretty because obviously growing up in the South is all flat land around here. I don't get to see all that very often. And it's definitely, it's a stadium. Like it did used to be a triple A stadium. It's definitely seen better days. I mean, I think the city's going to tear it down pretty soon here, but you know, I mean, mm. it was cool to definitely play on the Vipers for three years, but it, it's oh, definitely yeah. seen better days. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, this, that's tough. I haven't been back to Schaumburg in a while, but I know they've changed on a leagues and team names a couple different times, but yeah, I know a lot of those. I don't know. It's getting tough. I mean, I can't imagine what it'd be like to be a minor league player these days and how hard it is with them limiting teams and just uh, players. And I don't know. It's It's been tough these last couple of years. I know a couple of guys that are still trying to do it, and it's been, been tough for them. I appreciate you coming on, RJ. Is there any shout-outs before we sign off? No, I appreciate you uh, letting me come on here and relive the glory days a little bit and talk about it. It's always fun. Uh, like we talked about, I don't really talk about it very often. Um, or like I said, a lot of people in my day-to-day life don't even really know my past or what I did, but I fun to get on here and talk about it a little bit and recollect. She said, come from a land down under Where women glow and men plunder can't you hear, can't you hear the thunder, yeah You better run, you better take cover, yeah You better run, you better take cover